God, we, I'm just so excited of what, what you have shown me this week out of Hebrews and this value of belief that you have, this value of faith. God, show us tonight through your word again. Make the words jump off the page, God, into our hearts and minds. We just pray that your spirit is here. We know your spirit is alive and working. Your word is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. So we just look forward, God, to being with you in the word. Teach us, God. Our hearts are so open. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight we get to talk about the rest of God, and if we just review the verse Matthew 11, once again, do you guys know it by memory now? Matthew 11:28. 28, let's hear it. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. My yoke upon you, I, I'm blanking on Brooke's part. How about the first line? That's what I'm teaching. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yow! So that's what we're talking about tonight. So many of us, when we think about rest, we think, we think of the Sabbath, don't you? We think of the Sabbath. We think about a rhythm of rest, going and receiving rest or taking time to rest. Tonight, when we look at what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, we're going to talk about something even bigger than that rhythm. We're going to talk about the rest that Jesus gives us through his death on the cross and his resurrection. The rest that Jesus gives us that only he can give us. It's outside of our circumstances. It's outside of what we see before us. It's only what we can receive in him. So that's what I'm so excited about. I'm going to give you just a working definition of rest. It's a profound peace that God gives to those who love and obey him regardless of their circumstances. Isn't that good? A profound peace that God gives to those who love him, obey him, and obey him regardless of our circumstances. It's that peace that Philippians 4, 6, and 7 talks about, where he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything in prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God will rule in our hearts, the peace that's beyond our comprehension, beyond our understanding. That's the kind of peace or rest we're going to talk about tonight. And I was, as I was thinking about this and just, you know, seeking the Lord about it, the first thing that came to mind was that song, It Is Well With My Soul. And backstage, I learned we're going to sing that right after. Um, yeah! Um, so that song, It Is Well With My Soul, was written by Horacio Spafford, right? And he um, was an attorney, and he went through the Chicago fire, and he lost a lot of money. And then very close to that tragedy, he lost his son to scarlet fever. And so he decided he wanted to send his wife and four or five daughters, I think four daughters, to England just for a vacation and a break. 
a holiday in England, and so he sent them ahead of himself because he had to tie up some business. And on the way over, as they crossed the Atlantic, the ship, there was an accident, and 200 people died on the ship, and four of those people were his daughters. And so he got a text, uh, not a text. <laughs> Hello, it's the 1800s. Okay, he got a telegraph, maybe? I don't know, from his wife saying, it's just me, I'm the only one here. And so he set you know, himself on a ship to follow her. And when they got near the area where the ship had gone down and sunk, you know, the ship captain told him, this is, this is where um, your children were lost. And as he sat in that place, the peace of God overwhelmed him, and he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. That man knew his Lord, right? That man had been invited into the presence of God, like we talked about Friday night, in that intimate, close, personal space, and he knew his God, and his God imparted a peace that is not understandable, is it? It's, it's only a peace that can come from a Christ that loved us so much that he lived it, like Brooke said. He loved us so much that he died, and he rose from the dead. It only comes from a person like that. And every time I go back to that story, I'm just amazed at the peace that came upon that man with all his loss. So we find tonight, we're just reestablishing the fact that Brooke taught this morning, we find that our true rest comes in the person of Jesus, doesn't it? The love of Jesus. Augustine writes that we are most satisfied when we're satisfied in him. Isn't it true? Jesus' great desire is that we find the rest we so desperately need, which is rest that only he can give. And I just, I've talked with many of you, and we're just all affirming together the fact that Jesus is our source of rest. It, an, it can only come from him. He came so that we may have abundant life, full and meaningful life, peace and rest. This world does not offer, does it? And I think for me, in many of the hardest times in my life when I can't find rest and I just need help being ushered into his presence, that secret place, that intimate place with him, I've gone to the Psalms, and so I just wanted to list a few Psalms that have been very helpful for me in ushering me into the presence of God. Psalm 62, 5 to 7 says, for God alone, and I'm like a freak. I take the word of God, and I do things like not, not that, you know, not my kids too, or not my husband, or not, you know, my favorite things to do, just you, God, alone, 
Oh, my soul, I need to wait in silence. For my hope is from you, God, and no one else. He, you alone, are my rock and my salvation. You're my fortress that I hold on to, and I will not be shaken. On God, I rest my salvation. In my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is you, God. Jeremiah 31, 25 says, I satisfy the weary ones, and I refresh everyone who languishes. Doesn't that languish feel like that heavy and heavy laden? He refreshes as we languish. Psalm 107.9 says, He has satisfied the thirsty soul, and the hungry soul he has lifted with what is good. Psalm 105.41, He opened the rock and water flowed out. It ran in the dry places like a river. Do you feel like a dry place ever? God provides water to nourish us in our dry places. Psalm 1611, this is one of my favorites, you probably know. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever. Psalm 71.3 says, Be to me a rock of habitation to which I may continually come. Because I need you so much, God. You have given commandments not to harm me, but to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And then Jeremiah 6.16 says, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient pass, path. Say that five times. Where the good way is, walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. So we can see, I mean, almost all the Psalms, we can see that as we go to the Lord, he provides shelter. He provides satisfaction. He provides fullness. So my question is, what's the problem? If we know that in our head, and it's proclaimed all over scripture, what is my problem? So think about it. What's our dilemma? that we aren't able to believe these things that are proclaimed all through scripture. It requires belief. It requires faith. And I love, that's what he said right before we sang that last stanza, sing it this time like you believe it. Sing it this time like you believe it. Isn't it amazing that we can know about God, we can even have relationship with God, but many times we're lacking in our belief. We just find it hard to believe. So I want to take you back to Genesis chapter 2, and what I'm going to do first is I'm going to show you a little bit about the, the context of rest in Scripture and the, the, the discussion over rest. And then I'm going to talk about how our belief and faith open the door for us to receive that rest. So Genesis 2-2, and this is, I'm so excited about this because Brooke and I had prepared our talks. We talked through our talks for, you know, weeks. And this week, my husband comes out and he goes, well, are you going to talk about Hebrews 3 and 4? And we're like, no. And so my husband just, he's a wise man. And so I'm like, 
Brooke, I think I'm going to look in Hebrews 3 and 4. Well, that's the premise for tonight. And God taught me all this fresh stuff, so I'm so excited to share it with you. But first, let's look at Genesis 2-2 and start, start with one. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Okay, let me just read you the commentary notes because I want to get the exact wording here. God rested. God ceased on the seventh day, not because he was weary, but because nothing formless or empty remained. It was all done, right? He, his creativity and his work was completed, and it was totally effective. It was abundantly perfect, his creation, it did not have to be repeated, repaired, or revised. And the creator actually was commemorating the moment. Have you ever read that before? I've never read that. So he creates everybody and creation and all the stuff. And then he decides to rest. He takes the day of rest. But God's not tired, right? He's commemorating the completion and the beauty of what he has done. Okay, remember that, what he's done. He's completed it. Does that sound familiar? Anybody else that's completed anything in the New Testament? So he is commemorating it. So you, I got to tell you a story about this kind of like complete thing and, and celebrating and commemorating this thing. So August, Brooke's oldest little boy, he loves Legos, and he digs in this huge bin we have of all our son's old Legos, and he puts together little creations, and he loves doing it. So now he can put together pretty good, you know, creations. He's three and a half. So now whenever he puts together a creation, I always, I always go, ta-da, look what you did. So now when he does a creation, sometimes he does ta-da before I do, because he knows I'm going to be like, ta-da, look what you made. I feel like that's what God was doing when he, on his rest day. He was just going, ta-da, I created the world, I created you, I created everything, I'm satisfied, it's done, and it, it is good. Remember in chapter one, he kept saying, it is good. Okay, so grab that thought, and then let's go to... Um, Numbers 14, verses 20 to 23. So here we go, and we're dealing with the Israelites, the crazy Israelites, which I feel like oftentimes, do you? And God makes this offer, right, to lead them out of Egypt into the promised land. Okay? So the promised land is often interchanged with rest the peaceful place, the promised land, full of milk and honey. But what does he say in Numbers 14, 20 to 23? So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of God. See what he's saying here? As long as I'm around, the glory of God is going to fill the earth. And he says... Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test, 
these ten times and have not listened to my voice shall be no means shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of them who spurred me to see it. So what's he saying? He's saying, I wanted to lead them into the promised land, into rest, into a place where their land was safe and they were protected. I demonstrated my glory all along the way, but they didn't notice. They didn't believe me, did they? They did as they wished, and they were disobedient. And then jump to Psalm 95, And I've never seen this ribbon of this talk about entering rest. So I hope it's fun for you to discover too. Psalm 95, 6 to 11. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. As in Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me. And though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. So he valued this belief and trust. And he watched as they did not trust him, right? And it actually created anger inside of him. Thank the Lord we have Jesus and we don't have to do it perfect, right? So what makes us weary, I believe, in life is not what we do, but what we believe. Not what we do, but what we believe. The Israelites did a lot of stuff. They were very weary, weren't they? They were exasperated. I can relate. But they didn't believe in a very big God. They did at times, but oftentimes they questioned and doubted. So without diligent faith, we fall like children in the wilderness. And unbelief keeps us from rest. When we think and live that he is worthy of our complete faith, then we trust and experience the rest. When we think and live like he is worthy of our complete faith, then we trust and live in the experience of rest. It's like the chair, like Brooke pointed out when we were singing the last song, he will hold me. We can know what a chair does, we can see a chair, we can learn about a chair, right? So we know it's a chair, but then we can learn, okay, it's made of wood, it has legs, it can hold people. But until we sit in the chair, we don't trust that it's going to hold us, right? We just, we know, oh, that's a chair, but if we've never seen anyone sit in it, and someone says to sit in it, we're not really living by faith until we sit in it, right? And it holds us up. That's kind of what we're talking about here. We can intellectually know about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We can even learn a lot, like all that I learned before I went to Japan. But until I trusted and believed, the rest didn't come. It was languish. It was 
Is that the word? Yeah, languish. I think that's what he used in that one passage. So I want to just show you, um, I, have, I had a lady last week when I was teaching a Bible study say to me, what do you mean by when you do that? So I'm kind of on this mission of like, let me just illustrate this for you. So I'm going to il illustrate it in two ways. First, the identity, and that one's easier because I mentioned it last night. When I went to Japan, I always felt like an outsider. I told you that. I felt like, like how I ended up on a mission trip was beyond anyone's imagination. And I never knew a missionary growing up. You know, it was just kind of crazy that I ended up there. So when I went there, I was a young woman who was confused by the atmosphere I grew up in. I was insecure because the alcoholism communicated things that I didn't know what to do with at my age. I was not confident because I was a little afraid. I was um, not looking at myself like I was valuable in God's eyes because I thought valuable to him meant a church kid, and I wasn't that. And I could kind of go on list a list of what the things were that I believed. But like I said, when we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, and I saw that I was chosen, I was sprinkled by his blood, grace and peace were mine in abundance, I was born to a living hope, I had obtained an inheritance that was eternal, and then I learned, Psalm 139, that he created every aspect of me, and then I learned, Ephesians 2.10, that I am his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the good works he created me to do beforehand, all of a sudden, the Spirit took those words and gave me faith to believe that that was true of me. That's when my life changed. So I knew, I knew stuff before, but the minute I sat in the chair of a new identity, I was like, I want to be a missionary. I am, I've got an inheritance that is beyond my imagination I'm sure God chose me this little insecure kid he chose me I am royal priesthood well gosh I'm a worker then I'm like one of his workers I get to proclaim the gospel like I have a whole new identity than the scared little girl that I grew up with and I believed it and I've never looked back because it's true now, does the enemy try to tempt me? Yes, he does. Do, do those feelings come up? Yes, they do. But I go back to the belief in what is true, and that has totally and completely changed how I see myself. The second one is in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I was just thinking about different points in my life where I put my faith in and never looked back. We had moved to Chicago. I'd never moved out of the state. My husband told me we're moving to Illinois. I thought you pronounced it Illinois. And um, I was devastated. I mean, I loved him so much, I'd go anywhere he went. But it was like, what are we doing, and where are we moving, and where is that? So we moved to Illinois, and I got irritable bowel. I was so lonely. I didn't have any friends. All our family was here. And I would sit on my step, and it would be either in the winter or in the summer, and mosquitoes would be attacking me. 
the humidity was so intense. And I would just say, Lord, like what? What are we doing here? And my husband didn't even like his job. <laughs> and he wasn't going to go home. He always kept saying, just give me five years, hon, and then I'll take you home. Five years. So I'd sit on that step, and I'd just say, Lord, I trust you, but I'm so lonely. I trust you, but I wish my mom and dad could come to the kids' little shows at school. I trust you, but I can't. And just day after day, and then trust in the Lord with all your heart. So I'd bring my heart before him. I'd say, Lord, you know my heart. You know how lonely I am. I need a friend. I'd just tell him what I needed to trust him with. And then, it, and then the Bible says, don't lean on our own understanding. And so what is my understanding? I need to go back home. So every day I'd be like, God, I want to go back home, but I want to trust you. I want to go back home, but I want to trust you. So I, this is how I work it out with them. Just, you know, literally fist fight. And then in all your ways, acknowledge him. So God, I want to acknowledge you. You're, my, you're our provider. Your ways are better than ours. Your thoughts are better than ours. You work all things together for good. You redeem the locusts, the days the locusts have eaten. All these things, just acknowledging who he is and believing them and taking them into my life circumstances. And then as I didn't lean on my own understanding and I acknowledged him, little by little, he'd start to make the path straight. But it took me believing what he said to be true in order for me to walk in the weariness in the rest rather than the weariness because the weariness day to day of my own plans for our life just took me out but when i trusted him and believed that he had better plans than i did and that I couldn't lean on my own understanding, which was so silly, just go home, take me home, take me home. That's when it all changed. And that was probably one of our greatest five or six years in our whole life with some of our lifelong friends, some of the building blocks for our character and our marriage that we never would have had had we stayed in the same environment. So... Faith is key to opening the door to rest. We can know a lot of things, but unless we believe, we're stuck. So we've all, we might say we've always loved him, but do we trust him? As we trust him, our burdens are lifted. Our lack of faith increases our burden. As we place our faith, he gives us rest. A simple promise can relieve a complex burden, provided we believe that the power behind the promise is complex and strong enough to relieve our heaviness. Rest comes when we believe what Jesus did, and we receive rest by putting our faith in what he did on the cross. So turn to Hebrews. I can't believe I told you so much about my discovery in Hebrews, and we're not even there yet. So I'm just going to give you, because I have till 7.30, is that right? Okay. 
I'm going to give you a brief overview of Hebrews that just basically frames what I've been talking about. And it's just a, a warning for us as children of God. So in chapter 3, let's see where I want to start here. Okay, chapter 3, verses 7 to 11, we see, he says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of the wilderness, he's referring back to Israel, where your fathers tried me. I'm sorry, I can barely see in the light by testing me and saw my works for 40 years therefore i was angry with them and that generation and they always went astray in their heart and they did not know my ways as i swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest so here hebrews so here we go at the end of the bible and the author most likely paul there's discussion over that maybe not but probably He's warning them again and reminding them of what happened to the Israelites. And he's saying the peril of unbelief. And then verse 12, take care, my brethren, that there not be anyone among you that has an unbelieving heart, that falls away from the living God. I love this 13 because this is why we come to things like this and have women of faith that are friends but encourage one another day after day as long it is, as it is still called today. As long as we still have the moment, encourage one another not to harden our hearts, not to look in disbelief. But so that the time of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become, this is the amazing news, the partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. I'm going to read that one again. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. And then he goes into chapter 4, and you guys have got to read it on your own because I'm short on time. He talks about the believer's rest. And he says, jump down to verse 6. Therefore, since it remains for some of us to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them and failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day today, saying, David, after so long a time, just as it has said before, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden his hearts. Then jump to verse 9. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's the hope we have in Jesus and what he did for us. For the one who has entered his rest has him himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. Let us be diligent, women, to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and then sharper than any two-edged sword. And you know the rest of that verse. And then he dropped down to like 15 and 16. He says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things 
just as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Isn't that beautiful? So we see that our belief matters, and we see that Jesus has walked that road as well, like Brooke talked about, coming into the will of the Father because he loved, he loved us. And now he asks us to do the same, to come into the will of the Father, to believe in the words of the Father, and to believe the one who lived because he loved us, who died because he loved us, and not only that, had the power to conquer death and resurrected and conquer death. That's the God we believe in. That's the God that we can trust. And that's amazing. And he doesn't require anything of us. I, I was putting, we were putting on a shower for a friend last week and the day came and I hadn't signed up for what to bring and I wasn't bringing anything. And I reached out to all the girls and they all said, no, we got it covered, got it covered, got it covered, got it covered. And I can't tell you how hard it was for me to show up to the shower and bring nothing. I mean, I was actually like tearing up. Like, I, I just can't believe I'm going to come and I love this girl. I'm not bringing anything. You guys, that's all Jesus requires is just that we show up and we have faith in him. We don't have to bring anything. We don't have to bring perfect behavior. We don't have to bring perfect belief. All we bring is ourselves. He does the work and we get the rest. But what does he require from us to bring? What does he require? Faith. We have to bring our faith. So that's our challenge tonight. Can we bring our faith? Can we bring our faith in the one that gives us life here on earth and eternally? He gives us life in every area of our life. You don't have to do any work. Just bring your faith. Let's pray. God, we are just um, so thankful. God, our response is so thankful because all you require is faith. And for many of us, in whatever we're facing in life, that faith isn't easy. But God, you're so pleased with our faith. It's impossible to please you without faith. So God, I just see like bit by bit, last night, this morning, tonight, God, we just want to receive the gift of faith and step in faith, God, believing you for who you are and who you say to be. God, you conquered death. You save us. What then shall we say to these things? If God, you are for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? God, we come before you believing that you give all things through your son, Jesus Christ. And we are thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.